Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Mr. Carl Zimmer will join us to discuss potential heredity. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, joining us today is Mr. Carl Zimmer. He's the award-winning New York Times columnist and science writer. He's the author of the new book, She Has Her Mother's Laugh, The Powers for Aversions and Potential of Heredity, which explores a sweeping history of our understanding of heredity. And uh, Mr. Zimmer, we're very pleased to have you today on the Grox Science Show. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, it's certainly a fascinating book you've written here. Uh, she Has Her Mother's Laugh. Did you explore the potential in regarding heredity. How did you become interested in writing about this topic? Well, I, I think like all of us, I've always been intrigued by heredity. I mean, it really has such a big uh, role in how we think about ourselves and we look to our ancestors, whether it's our parents or grandparents, our ancestry in different parts of the world to try to make sense of ourselves. And uh, I've been reporting on all sorts of advances in the science of heredity. And I thought, well, it'd be interesting to kind of trace out the history of heredity as a, as a concept and how science is now changing the way we should think about it. What ways is it that our, our understanding of heredity is a little limited from what we get in basic biology? Well, we, you know, learn about, you know, Mendel's experiments, you know, the classic experiments on, on genes. Um, but that may give you the impression that, you know, one gene alters one trait. <clears throat> so if a pea plant has a particular version of a gene, it'll be wrinkled. And if it doesn't have that, then it'll be smooth. And that's true for wrinkled peas, but for a lot of things we're most interested in, um, you know, our risks of certain diseases or the role that heredity plays in personality or intelligence or, or even something as simple as height, actually there are hundreds or thousands of genes that are involved and they're all working together. So what you inherit genetically um, is going to be uh, a lot more uh, complicated and harder to pin down if you're going to try to understand uh, how your ancestors influenced you in these ways. And so is it then that the traits, the things that make us who we are, really are just a mix of how those genes interact, interact with the environment? Yeah, absolutely. So um, take, for example, something like height. Uh, I talk about height a lot in the book because it seems really simple. You know, you just pull out a tape measure, you measure someone's height, and that's it. Um, but the the biology underlying why one person is short and one person is tall is, is really fascinating. And the genes that we inherit are that could in, influence our height are, are working in an environment. They're not just there, just in some vacuum. And so, you know, if you uh, get a lot of food to eat when you're a kid, or you're not getting a lot of food to eat, that's going to really uh, influence your height, regardless of what genes you inherit. So, 
you know, you might want to look at, well, what's the environment that you are inheriting from your parents? I mean, where are you born into in terms of a, a place where there's a lot of food around or there's not very much at all? Um, the whole world has gotten taller over the past century, um, several inches, as a matter of fact. It's quite dramatic. Um, but that doesn't have anything to do with genetics. It has to do with how we've changed our environment. We, we live in a, in a healthier, uh, better-fed world, basically. So much has been made of those famous twin studies uh, with twins raised apart, and they, they wind up being more similar oftentimes than those raised together. Does that sort of underscore that view of the environment? Yeah, these the twin experiments have really been incredibly important, just starting to open the door to understanding the role that genes have in all sorts of different traits. Um, and you do find that identical twins tend to end up more similar in a lot of traits than even fraternal twins. And this holds true even when you have twins who are adopted into different families and might have uh, you know, different experiences growing up. There's still a, a, a similarity there uh, that is, is quite striking. Um, we've actually sort of moved beyond twin studies, actually. Uh, scientists now, they don't have to depend on twins. I mean, twins are, identical twins are almost like a, you know, like a natural experiment where you basically use the same set of DNA to make two people, and then you can observe them growing up. Um, but now it's possible for scientists to sequence uh, DNA from thousands, even millions of people and to then look at some trait like height or intelligence test scores or so on. And now they can actually see these effects of genes, but they can actually zero in on the individual genes as well. And so that's going to actually give us a, an insight into our own biology that we didn't have before, thanks to heredity. So you yourself had your genome sequenced. Uh, what did you learn from it and uh, what didn't you learn? Yeah, so I, I had the opportunity to kind of go beyond the kind of standard sort of 23andMe genotyping where you, you only look at like a fraction of 1% of your DNA. Um, and I actually got all my DNA sequenced, the, my whole genome as it were. And then I took that data, you know, on a hard, literally on a hard drive and went to different scientists and said, hey, um, I'd like to explore what's in here and, and can you help me? And, and a lot of scientists were very generous with their time. And so I discovered lots of interesting things, things I just wouldn't have expected. Um, so I was able to look at a, an entire catalog of my Neanderthal genes. You know, uh, billions of people on earth have about one to 2% of Neanderthal DNA in their genome. Uh, and it's now possible to actually look at the individual genes that different people have inherited because 50 to 100,000 years ago, humans and Neanderthals interbred and some of that Neanderthal DNA ended up in our, our gene pool. And so, um, you know, I have these genes in my genome that are involved in things like the immune system that come from Neanderthals. So why I inherited them after tens of thousands of years is a really fascinating question. Um, it's possible that in some cases they benefit me. You know, maybe having an immune uh, gene from a Neanderthal protects you against a wider range of diseases. We don't really know, that, but there's this whole area of sort of Neanderthal medicine that's now opening up. And another area where it's cutting edge ability to manipulate the genome is with this CRISPR editing technique it poses. 
Yeah, so uh, in my book, I talk about how scientists discovered CRISPR. Um, it was actually produced naturally by molecules, but then they harnessed this sort of natural technology as a way to zero in on just about any specific bit of DNA you want, cut it out, and replace it with a different piece. So this basically gives you a kind of like a search and replace function for DNA, like it was a Microsoft Word document. This is incredibly powerful uh, for doing basic research in science. People are trying to figure out how to use it for medicine. So maybe that people with hereditary diseases could receive CRISPR molecules that could fix some of their genes in some of their cells, and that might cure them of diseases. Uh, people are using CRISPR to try to make new kinds of crops. Where the controversy then comes in is, well, uh, it's one thing to rewrite the DNA in some of your cells as an, as, as an adult, but what about altering the DNA in an embryo and then making those changes inherited so that for future generations, um, you, uh, you, ha you are changing uh, the human gene pool. Um, we have to have a debate about that right now because the technology is coming online really fast. Just how prepared do you think we are to, to deal with some of these new issues arising in heredity and genetics? Um, I, I think that we need to prepare ourselves better. Um, you know, just, just when you, like, uh, hear people talk about their 23andMe results, you know, we have, you know, uh, 5 million people getting 23andMe results, uh, 10 million people getting Ancestry.com results, and they're, they're starting to get medical information out of these kinds of reports. But... Um, you know, it, I, I get concerned that people think that, um, that these results are telling them sort of an all or nothing thing, like, oh, here's a gene that's been linked to cancer, so therefore you're going to get cancer. Well, that, no, no, that means that it's going to slightly tweak your chances of, of getting cancer. So I think I, we really need to have a, a richer understanding of heredity if we're going to try to control it in ways that, that we want. You know, we don't want to make, be making changes that are going to lead to unanticipated and undesirable changes. Indeed, indeed. We were just talking with uh, Mr. Carl Zimmer. He's the author of the new book, She Has Her Mother's Laugh, The Powers, Perversions, and Potential of Heredity. And uh, Mr. Zimmer, I want to thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.